Hey Blenders, it's Sean, and I'm here to introduce a bonus episode of Real Blend, an interview that we couldn't get onto the main show, but somebody that we really wanted to talk to, and we're thrilled that we got some time to spend with her. Um, Ishana Shyamalan is the daughter of M. Night Shyamalan, who, as you guys know, was a guest on the show somewhat recently. And when we all came out of old, we noticed that Ashana, who is an up-and-coming filmmaker, um, was running second-unit cameras on her father's uh, on her father's film on that beach shoot. And so we reached out about speaking with her, and she had some amazing stories about growing up on M. Night's sets um, and the work that she did on old and where she wants to see her film career going forward. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, this bonus talk that, um, that we didn't get into the main show. But an interview we wanted you guys to hear. It's Ashana Shyamalan on Real Blend. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining our, our Real Blend podcast. Obviously, we had your father on a couple of weeks ago. This is uh, truly an honor to have you on as well. That The video that your father put out um, highlighting your second unit directing uh, job on the film is, was really special to see. And I reached out to uh, uh, your father's publicist and we were talking about getting you on and we're honored to have you on our show. Um, for our audience, uh, just in terms of explaining second unit, it's such an interesting thing because a lot of filmmakers do it different ways. Like we, we've had a lot of filmmakers in the show who don't even use second unit on their films. And then there are filmmakers like your father who do use second unit. Um, so for our audience, do you mind just explaining your role as a second unit director, kind of what that means in terms of the production and maybe an example of a shot that you did down the beach while your father wasn't there and vice versa. I'm just curious about that. Absolutely. I think, as you said, second unit is is very uh, subjective thing. And on every different film, it changes. And even on my dad's different films, I think he uses it to varying degrees, but particularly for this film, because it's so environmental and so dependent on the nature and the shots of nature, there was actually a big chunk of things to do. Um, and essentially it was like getting anything that he didn't think he had time to get on the beach. Um, and so that was kind of sending me to places that were a little bit harder to get to, to get nature shots or um, doing shots of the actor's feet, that feet or hands or something that he didn't <laughs> want to grab. Um, so all those kind of little fun details that you see all around the movie. Can you mentioned you, the um, actor, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was say, uh, you mentioned the actor's feet and the hands. Like, are, are those always the actor's actual hands or feet or do actor doubles come in to shoot those moments if, they're, if their faces aren't on camera? It differs. You try and get, I think, for the most part, the same actor because there's like a, a kind of je ne sais quoi, like about the actor's feet that you can't really replicate with the <laughs> double at times. But yeah. sometimes I was I was kind of setting up with the double that would be there. And then we'd have, especially for the kid child actors, if they'd come in and have to do something, we'd set up with the double and then bring them in later. Hmm, that's cool. Shana, I'm so glad that you mentioned the nature shots and, and going yeah. out onto the beach because 
halfway through the movie, I started to realize it's hard to turn off the the part of your brain that's 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 analyzing everything. And I thought, what a nightmare to shoot on a beach. Like I can't <laughs> imagine just the sound of the ocean. Um, you know, trying to get a, a, a still shot, even if you have, you know, the rigs that, that control everything, you know, mm. I try and move around on a beach and I just look awkward and, and uncomfortable. Uh, can you talk about the challenges of just trying to capture what you need uh, in a live environment such as that? Did you ever turn to your dad and say, can it be like a cafe where they all turn old? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he mentioned this to you guys, but this was really one of the first movies that he did not in Philly. So it was just a whole other kind of world we were encountering. But in many ways, it was a very humbling experience for us because you're at the mercy of nature when you're shooting. Like the, the days are hot. If it decides to rain for 15 minutes, you have to stop production and wait for 15 minutes. So yeah. um, it's it's an amazing thing where you're like we're here and it's each time we get to shoot is precious because nature is allowing us to do that at that mm. particular moment so and that way you feel really kind of sacred about everything you're doing and it's also it's pretty amazing like you get tired and then you look out and the sun's setting <laughs> over the beautiful ocean and it's just like you can't can't be mad at that so yeah. all right fair <laughs> enough i guess that's that is true, true. <laughs> yeah <laughs> later in the interview i want to dive into shooting on 35 millimeter but yeah. one of the things that i find interesting is in terms of shooting on film and the dailies that you you, you would watch after filming um yeah. in terms of the second unit shots that you would do would you sit with your father after grabbing them? Uh, like, what's the process in terms of like, you shoot it and mm -hmm. then the film gets processed, you have the dailies and then walk me through that and sitting with your dad and kind of him going, all right, yeah, that shot looks great. I love this, I love that, go redo that. Like kind of, what's that timing, that timeline look like? Yeah, I mean, he also is very specific in the way he does dailies where he watches them every day and all a lot of the crew members come and watch them on his movies. Um, but this one was a little bit different because we had to ship the film back to the States to get it processed yeah. and then get those digital dailies sent back to us, I think, through the post uh, post house there. So wow. it's like this crazy process. And in many ways, you don't even know what you're going to get back. And there's always this fear of like, well, something happened on the flight to the film. We only have these one canisters of film that have this movie on it. So um, mm. when you're watching it, you feel very grateful for everything you've shot. Um, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's like it's me terrifying. picking up my laptop and sending it someplace else <laughs> after I've written something each day. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying because it's like you put so much effort into these shots and then they're just on the off chance something happens, which it could, you know, you lose that that day of shooting or two days of shooting. So has that ever happened? Have you ever lost has your father ever lost a film canister of something that he shot? I don't, maybe earlier in his career, I feel like I remember him telling me something about that, but on this movie, we were really lucky and we didn't lose anything. So it was good, it was good. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I'm curious about, because uh, obviously you directed three episodes of Servant and yeah. um, TV has become this great opportunity for directors to, to really hone their craft. You know, we've mm -hmm. come from a generation where TV was like a, a gig, just a hired gig kind of thing. But now I think the line between film and television is blurred so completely mm -hmm. in terms of being able to dive into an arc. Is that still a great place for filmmakers to, to get their feet wet, you know, to really perfect certain things that they want to work on? Because I feel like a lot of the techniques that people are bringing to television shows are easily, maybe I think, uh, transferable to what you do in a feature film. Mm -hmm. I think for me, my experience was exactly that, where um, Servant is the best training ground for any kind of young director looking to get their feet wet in this industry and try and understand what it's like to make a movie. Um, but that's very particular to that and to Apple because they allow us to shoot it like we're shooting a movie. So 
Mm. We get to prep as much as we want. We all storyboard. We all have access to storyboard artists. We get to go in and shoot pretty long, long shoots. Like I shot eight days or nine days for some episodes, which I know you don't wow. get on a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. And I get to be in the post room for a lot longer than than directors would be on other shows. So um, in that way, it's really like they're fostering your talent as a young director. And I know a lot of the other directors felt the same way. So it was super special. It was a boot camp for all of us. That's you know, I, here. Yeah. And as I was watching that video your father put out, I, I was so jealous just to see those 35 millimeter cameras and just the the film. And it just the, it was amazing to see that. And like a lot of filmmakers don't get to work on film these days. It, I mean, and, and for me and, and Sean knows this, like we're, we're big fans of film on the show, mm-hmm. like actual film, because nothing looks like it. The grain that's swimming. I know your Absolutely. father shot 35 on this because of the sand and the water. And yeah. it's really cool how he did that. I was just curious for you as a younger filmmaker, what it was like to work on 35 and, and, and mm-hmm. kind of what that meant to you to work on film. And then kind of, is it something you want to push to, to do mm-hmm. moving forward in your career? Absolutely. That was definitely the component that I was the most scared of coming into this Mm. because I just graduated from MIU Tisch and I didn't take a single class where they taught me anything about shooting on film. And um, that's not like to say a a detriment of that school in particular, but just that the industry now doesn't really require it as much so they don't teach it in their fundamental classes. So for me, I was so scared. I was like, what if I mess up? How do I do this? Do I do the same amount of takes? Do I be more precious when do I call action like do I have enough time so check the gate um, yeah it was all yeah. of these things that I had to learn um but I found that it was the most amazing experience like because I was so particular about when I call action when I call cut to save as much space on that film roll as you can um and just learning that you have to set up everything before you even you even get to start shooting the shot so I love that. And there really is a quality of life that you can't replicate on digital that I think only comes through in film. So should I be so lucky to have the opportunity to do that for my feature films? I would love to do that as well. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Now, now I'm a little bit less of a religious fanatic when it comes to film. Um, I do understand Kevin's uh, appreciation for <laughs> it. It's the only also, way to shoot. It's the only way to shoot. Ashana is a 22-year-old filmmaker who is, yeah. has cutting-edge technology at her fingertips. <laughs> I want you to be able to talk about the other side of it as well, too, of being able to experiment on the day mm-hmm. and not feeling precious about, oh, I'm burning through something that's very expensive and it's going to cut yeah. into my budget. Because I'm sure part of the reason why NYU doesn't get into that is because the tools that are at, in a filmmaker's grip nowadays have evolved so much mm-hmm. and you can get really experimental. Absolutely. I think that that definitely is a great thing as you're learning to become a filmmaker. And for me, I don't think I was eligible to touch film before before this year of my life. So um, it, I was lucky because I had so much room to experiment and make short films that were horrible and short films that were mediocre because there was digital and there was no sort of like larger um, financial or like kind of uh, tactile implications of it. So um, in that way, you can really find your footing and experiment and try different styles and just keep shooting things. So um, that was some of the greatest advice my dad gave me when I was super afraid at the beginning of film school. He was like, just go make something. It doesn't matter what it is, just go shoot something. Mm. So, it, it's, it's, it's funny you bring up Tish because I, I, I wanted to go to Tish so bad when I was a kid. Like When I was graduating high school, that was like my dream school. I just it couldn't mm. afford it at the time. And it, was, and it was just it was far away. So I ended up going to school with George Mason here in the D.C. area. But mm. Tish was always like my dream school to go to. I was curious, 
when when you go to that school, I, I wonder with your with your name, people obviously know who your father is. And I think mm-hmm. it's beautiful that you're paving your own path. And obviously I can't wait to see what you do as a feature filmmaker. But what challenges come with that, knowing that your your father is who he is and you're at that and you're at that school? I just wonder kind of how you, how that plays out emotionally for you when you're there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think I came mm. into school feeling really worried about that, like what kind of pressures the name would put on me or would people mm. write me off and write my work off because of this last name. Um, but I found that when I got there, everyone was really kind of welcoming um, and supportive of me and just kind of wanted to create an environment where I could prove myself and work hard. So uh, that was really amazing. And it was kind of a strange experience because I'd be I'd be in my film classes and they're showing pieces of his film. So I get <laughs> to kind of step out and be an objective, like just a film student for a second and look at the way that he has has changed the film industry and changed visuals and how we shoot. So that was a pretty profound piece of it, for sure. What were they showing in the class? Can I? Do you mind me asking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had I had one class that was showing clips of Unbreakable and talking about framing, um, and how how to kind of cultivate like a frame within a frame, and showing that one shot of the uh, of, yeah of Bruce kind of oh, there. <laughs> the, amazing. The, the oneer on the train when he yes. goes back and forth. Yes. That was one they showed in a class. Oh, so cool. Uh, <laughs> so it's, cool. it's funny because like there's a scene in Old when they first get to the hotel where he's going back and forth and it kind of reminded me, I know that there's other film homages he's doing there, but it kind of reminded me of that shot in Unbreakable so much. So that's cool. Going back to isolating shots in old, um, there's that amazing sequence of the kids playing and Mm. the way that that camera, you know, wraps around them and almost freezes. Mm. Um, What can you share about that shot of how that even is captured? That was a crazy shot. I think we, I, I watched the whole, they shot it twice. They shot it a first time, I think like 28 takes and then shot like a second time, like almost 28 takes as well or something, something in that number there. Um, And it was, yeah, that was a really difficult shot. It was on a big crane and a big rig. Um, And the whole idea is to sort of mimic the the manic nature of of what it feels like to be a child playing and to, to feel present in that with them. So um, it's interesting when you try to replicate something that's so naturalistic that it takes you a million times to get it right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know if it looks wrong too, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you're Absolutely. watching it in playback and you're like, oh no, that's not, it's artificial. That's not an actual yeah. kid playing. Absolutely, and it's also when you're working with kids, like they do what they want. So <laughs> if they're tired or they don't want to stop where they don't want to stop, that's that's how the take's going to be. So kind of trying to encourage that wildness that they bring to any shot while also getting the precision of what you want is definitely a difficult balance. It's beautiful. Yeah, the shots in this film were insane. The way he disoriented us so much as we were watching mm-hmm. it. Um, this is something I was fascinated because I, I saw on your Instagram, there's a great photo of you like at a younger age in, uh, being held by your father. And it's a, mm-hmm. it's a really cool moment. I was wondering particularly what set that was, if you remember the specific set that was. And, and, and do you remember that one in particular? Yeah, I think it was on the Lady in the Water set. Oh, probably, yeah, I forget what, what year that was, 2011 or something. So it's probably- That's crazy. Yeah. So this is, this is a two-part question and apologies if this comes off a little confusing. So I was wondering, um, the first set you ever visited, maybe when you were super young and don't even remember being on that set. Mm. And then the first set you remember actually being on. Mm, that's so interesting. I don't know what the actual first set. I know I was born, I was, 
my mom was pregnant with me when Sixth Sense was coming out. So I, I know that. So whatever, whatever the next movie, I think I was probably the first set that I was on. But I do, there like are photos of me in diapers, I think on whatever the next film there was. Um, and then, yeah, again, first one I can remember, probably, probably Lady in the Water. Hmm. Um, and because I was, that came out of a bedtime story that he told us, that he made for us as we went to sleep. So it was a very special film for us and for me it was like this whole kind of magical world that was coming alive that I'd heard him tell me before bed um, mm. as a child and I was so kind of infatuated with the process and I think maybe on that side is where my love for film began because I was just like wow you're creating this thing that that was in your mind a month ago so yeah I was gonna ask you that do, do you remember the spark hitting you because like, like I, people always ask like like when, when did you fall in love with film and like I remember I, I have a very specific moment when I was eight years old I was between my parents on the couch watching Terminator 2 Judgment Day mm-hmm. and uh, after seeing that film I just knew that I loved cinema and I, I wanted to do nothing else with my life and be involved in film somehow do you remember mm-hmm. that spark for you I mean obviously you grew up in a filmmaking household but like where where it clicked for you like oh my god this is what I have to do yeah I mean I think it was it was a little bit of a different experience for me because of that it was such a film household and we were always from the time I can remember brought up thinking that film is this kind of sacred art form um so there's been no other option to think of it like (laughs) like a mundane thing it's always been this sacred thing but I think actually probably the Miyazaki films, the animated Miyazaki films were the thing that I felt kind of the most escapism and beauty in. And I still to this day watch them and I'm like, I if I could create something that feels like that in a, in a live action form, I would feel um, so amazing about what I was doing. Um, That's but cool. Yeah, yeah I, I just, I love those films so much. And then I think when I visited NYU for the first time and I saw all those students there and I saw the equipment and the posters on the wall. I was like, okay, all right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's, that must have been <laughs> like such that. a great moment for your father to like, to see you want to go into that. Cause I mean, it's got, it's gotta be an interesting thing, but he must've been so proud that you were like, I want to go on down that path. That must've been really cool for him. So yeah, he, he always told me, we never actually talked about it beforehand. Like we, I was never, I, I was never talking about being a filmmaker. It was always these other art forms. I wanted to be a fashion designer and a photographer and a ballet dancer. And it was like vacillating between all these different forms of art. Um, and then it was only really when I applied to film school that I was like, okay, this feels like the right place for me. And he was like, mm. I always knew, I always knew, but I never <laughs> wanted to say it because I didn't want you to be afraid of that. So um, I guess he knew before I did that that was my path. So, That's so I haven't awesome. regretted it at all. So. I have two boys of my own. Uh, they're 17 and 13 now at this point. And um, as much as I want them to love movies, movies is to them, that's dad's thing kind mm. of thing. And, you know, and my son is actually taking journalism classes in high school. And I always jokingly say to him, like, okay, when do you want me to come by and speak to the class? And he'd be <laughs> mortified, he'd be mortified if I came by and spoke to the class. So I find it really refreshing that when you followed down that path, yeah. you know, explored your own way, that he was supportive <laughs> of it too, because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm just like your dad and we're like, you know, whatever they find that that's theirs, you know, mm-hmm. I want them to find it and embrace it and turn it into their own. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Um, yeah. I'm very curious, as you start to pay your own way, what are the types of stories that you're looking to tell? What, what do you really want to start to explore as you get into this? Absolutely. I mean, I think strangely, tonally and, and genre-wise, things that I'm interested in are similar to what my dad's interested in. I love things that are darker. I love things that are thriller-based. I'm obsessed with fantasy, so I love bringing that into anything that I make. Um, I think it's kind of a similar a similar vibe to what he makes but maybe maybe with a little bit more of like a feminine take on it like maybe a little more whimsical and kind of um yeah I think in that way a little bit more feminine but um I don't know it's I'm, I'm kind of exploring as I go I think I think I'm trying lots of different things here. you think it might be um you, like you will want to stick with your own material I know a lot of stuff you've shot so far you've written yeah absolutely I think writing was my first love. I'm, I'm trying to sort of liken my directing skills to my writing skills, but I've been doing that since forever, uh, since I can remember. So that's something that I hope to take with me forever as well. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm in my, right now, my mind is geeking out because I'm thinking about how cool would a live action Miyazaki film look like? Oh my God, that'd be amazing. (laughs) Have you actually thought about like, that would be a really cool, I mean, I mean, his films are like, those films are so sacred and they're so like incredible, but have you thought about maybe what a live action version of like one of those movies would look like? Have you played that out in your mind? I mean, I think I could never because they're just such perfect <laughs> films that I would yeah. never like, you don't touch a master's work there. So no. <laughs> I would not do that. But um, I definitely see myself all the time thinking of visuals and trying to put them into real life that I'm realizing that I'm stealing from his films or that are inspired by <laughs> inspired by what he did. So um, I think it's kind of inevitable that he, he influences my visual style. Shauna, uh, your father uh, has a great uh, reference in the film that I talked to him about when we did the press junket, which was about the Missouri Breaks, the film with Brando and, and, uh, and Nicholson. <laughs> and I went, I actually bought it because of the oh film. Oh my God. And I, and I researched, I was like, what movie are they talking about? And, and, and your father told me this really cool story about how it's like actually a, a little bit of an homage to his own father and, yeah. and the dementia element of it. Um, I was yeah. curious, like, did, did you even know what, the, I didn't know if that movie even existed. Uh, I knew nothing about it, which is kind of the whole bit of the, the, the in the movie but have you ever seen it like did you I'm just curious what your relationship to that movie is because it's such a kind of a bit in the movie a little bit you know I have no relationship to that movie I didn't even know it existed until very recently <laughs> um, and I, I know when they were color timing uh the film the post-production made them a t-shirt with the movie poster on it, and gave it to my dad and so I have one of those 
but it's so interesting because my grandparents kind of exist in this weird world where they're immigrants and they came from India. So they're like the movies that they think in their mind as classic movies are kind of these weird, obscure films. <laughs> only just like rented from a store because it was the only thing there. So uh, it's kind of funny to access their database of, of classic funny. movies. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd um, never heard of it before. So, yeah. To that end, you can see behind uh, Kevin and his psychosis for um, collecting. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, I, I, I like seen... physical media. I like physical media. I'm a physical oh, media guy. Oh, it's so guy. good. That's amazing. Yeah. We, you know, we we tell all of those stories about you know growing up and and going to what used to be you know the video store and Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. What was your access to to film though growing up? You must have had access to just about everything you could get your hands on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean my dad is is similarly very precious about the physical DVD. So I, I can remember oh, until there they kind of became obsolete going to to DVD stores and stuff and picking out movies. Um, and now we have uh, this like extensive collection of Blu-rays that he's collected. Um, and now he's kind of moving into 4K. So he's trying to replace them all with 4K DVDs. Same. I'm getting the So right now my apartment in New York is like, the floors are covered. I have Blu-rays all over because I have all these kind of old ones. I'm trying to figure out how to organize them and uh, keep them. So <laughs> it's great. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm in yeah. that 4K uh, mode now too. We're like, I just got, I, I'm a big, I like the Fast and Furious films. So I got all those on 4K and now we're getting rid of all the Blu-rays now and giving them to our it's father-in-law. So crazy. You're constantly yeah. having to update the form. I'm just like, oh my God, I, I, want, I want one <laughs> consistent thing here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm interested in knowing and and I, I find this so interesting because as you mentioned, you were, you were, you were born, you were pregnant, your mom was pregnant when The Sixth Sense was coming out. Yes. What is your experience with those movies later in your life? Like when you go back and like, like when was the last time you actually watched the sixth sense or unbreakable and like like how different have those films impacted you as you've grown up and seen them multiple times over the years yeah i mean strangely i've only seen his movies probably once or twice in my life oh wow Um, and that's because like you're seeing this trend of him being very precious about everything he's very precious (laughs) about the way he shows us his movies so he, he would do i think from the time we were 10 or 11 one on each birthday in the oh. order that they were put out. So oh, that's awesome. That's cool. That's yeah, awesome. with the exception yeah. of the ones that were super scary, he would kind of he would kind of show us in order. So um, it was this amazing experience of growing up. You see, you see where he was from younger to older, and um, al- allowing them to impact you at different times in your life. Cool. Yeah. That's very cool. I want to talk about your work on music videos. Um, a lot of the filmmakers that we've grown to appreciate got their start there. Fincher, um, all those guys, yeah, like huge. Yeah, directors, it used yeah. to be a tremendous breeding ground for places to, you know, for people to get their talents recognized. Is that still yeah. the case? And what does the music video art form, you know, teach you in terms of how to edit, how to capture what you need, um, and it, you know, should people still explore trying to get into into putting them together? Yeah, I mean, I found that it was such a beneficial learning experience for me. I think the music video world right now is so much more vast. So you're definitely not getting as many eyes on your video as you would have 10 years ago, um, which is sad in many ways, but also great because it gives you room to just like put things out there and experiment and do do things that are obscure in your own creative taste. Um, I really loved it because it was it's an expedited form of a, of a TV show and then a, a regular film. So you're doing a really short mm. prep process, a really short shooting process and a really short post process. Um, so you have to make decisions really quickly and um, try and find freedom within this shorter period of time. So um, it's training you to kind of think on your feet and be 
be creative in a more pressured environment, which I love. Oh, and I think cool. some of the videos that you shot were for your sister Salika, right? And I, and I was just curious about like, obviously to have her doing a song in the film. I mean, it's such mm -hmm. an interesting thing, the whole family element to it. Um, is there, a, are you going to shoot a video for that song in particular? Or is there a video that um, I haven't seen yet? I was just wondering if you had planned on doing something with her on that. Yeah, we talked about doing a, a video for that uh, song on the island, but it just ended up being too packed of a, of a shooting schedule anyways, <laughs> that we can end up doing it. Uh, but we have a bunch more that we're thinking about doing together. I know my dad is planning on doing some and I want to do some. It's, I mean, she's so talented. So it's like having this amazing, amazing <laughs> voice. Her voice yeah, is a, incredible. Like what, an, what did yeah. it mean to you to hear her song as the credits were rolling? And, and I think some of the song is infused throughout mm -hmm. the film as well. I think maybe in the score a little bit. I was just curious, like emotionally, what it was like for you to listen to those credits roll and hear your sister's voice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a strange thing to have so many talented people that are happen to be my family members <laughs> yeah. because I'm just continually astounded by what she creates. You know, anytime she tells us she has a new song and plays it for us, it's like amazing. And we're not just lying to her to make her feel good. Um, so it, in that way, I'm continually inspired to make my art form better so that I can be, you know, on par with her and we can be feeding each other. Um, but I, I remember one one experience in specific, in specific was the day she came to set and uh, Thomason was singing her song, which is like one of the sequences at the end of the film. Mm. And it was so, so beautiful uh, to hear that. It was nighttime. We were both sitting there and we were hearing this other kind of young woman who has this beautiful, uh, melancholic voice sing the song. And it was just so, so special to be there in that moment and have all of our art forms intertwining in that way. That's amazing. It yeah. sounds like a really spiritual experience God, you guys I, had on this. I, wish, I know the set seems amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, anytime anyone asks me, that's exactly the word I use. I say it's, it was a spiritual experience for all of us. Yeah. Um, I have to ask though. So your father often has cameos and this one, he actually gave himself a role. Did you yeah. get to film him? Did you film him? <laughs> oh, no, I, I didn't. He, I was probably <laughs> supposed to, but it was the first thing that he, it was the first thing that he shot. And I was, I think, I'm still kind of like nervous and, and he, he just did it himself. I want you to give him notes. Can we yeah. do that no again, way. but give me a little bit more. Of a... <laughs> no way. I'd be so nervous for that. I'd be far too nervous. <laughs> Sean, I was interested in knowing this because most films are shot non-linearly and mm. you have characters that are aging rapidly in this yeah. film. Um, in terms of like, knowing where your actors are in their age and then the linear aspect of it and the makeup aspect of it. Yeah. How challenging was that in kind of keeping things together? Like this character is aged this much, but we have to mm -hmm. go back and shoot the character at this age and then grab them at this age. How, how complicated was that? Absolutely. It was a very complicated mathematical equation. And I remember sitting with my dad as he was kind of charting it all out um, with the DP and with the producers. Um, but it really was like we at first kind of had to know exactly how old everyone had to be um, in the 24 hour kind of scheme of of their lives uh, throughout the whole film. So that was the first thing kind of going in, knowing knowing everybody's ages at the different points. Um, and then again, because we're shooting out in nature, we have very limited daylight hours to shoot. So the morning yeah. light looks really different than the midday light, which looks really different than the afternoon light. So we broke each day into kind of those three chunks as well as night work. And you're doing kind of sequentially, okay, as much as we can get done of the middle day is keeping it sequentially 
um, and so on. So it was this very kind of crazy equation to figure out how to make it feel like one day um, with 40 days of shooting on a beach. So that's insane. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm lost just hearing that answer. That's, that's <laughs> I know. It was just, yeah. that. I also was like, oh my God, I can't, can't handle it. How this. do you even I keep it together? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know we're running out of time, but we're going to try to each fit in one more before we, before we time please. out. Um, but I'm just curious because I love the fact that this film um, was one of the ones that championed only in theaters, you know, mm -hmm. that, that for people to go out and see it. Um, and it, it did well. I'm glad that people are going out and supporting it. You know, yes. I think the, the positive word of mouth is driving people to it. How important Absolutely. was it to you, you know, that that, that old became uh, a cinematic experience and mm -hmm. that, you know, at any given moment, you can go to a theater and you can go see your work on a, on a huge Absolutely. screen. Absolutely. I mean, I think as a young filmmaker, it's such an important thing to see that theaters are still alive. Um, there's definitely this kind of crippling fear that, oh, by the time that I can make my first feature, that what if people aren't going to theaters? What if it's only streaming and the only way people are going to see my movie is on their phone, like on the toilet? I don't know, you know? Oh, it's just, God, it's, I feel so scary. Um, so, so to know, my dad continually reassures me, he says like the box office is not dead. It's still very much alive. Uh, people want that shared community experience. And so, um, we trust in that and we say, Hey, we're going to make stories that want to bring people together and, and hope that they come see it. So, um, it's a very, very important piece of the process. I think for all, all filmmakers and people aspiring to become filmmakers. So I'll, I'll end on a future question. Just, I, I know that we kind of touched on ideas of things you might want to do in the future, but like, where are you right now in terms of like work and in, in terms of like, mm -hmm. so you graduated from Tisch. Yes. Uh, you've obviously second unit on this film. You did three episodes of mm -hmm. Servant. What's, do you have something lined up? Like, are you, are you going to be on some more sets coming up? Like, what do you, what's, what's happening in the next, the next couple of years for you or months for you? Absolutely. I mean, I'm uh, the first thing is to kind of finish out this leg of Servant. So we just shot and finished season three, um, mm. which we're in post-production for. And then we're moving into season four, which I'm also writing for in a writer's room. Awesome. Um, and then I'll, I'll hopefully shoot some episodes in that and we'll conclude that journey. And then the next step for me is to try and uh, do a feature. So I'm kind of in early, early development on an idea that I love. So I'm I'm trying to uh, sort of muster oh. up the courage to start. So what is it? Tell us. Yeah, what is it? Can you give us a little secret, hint? Top secret information. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case I chicken out, it's top secret. <laughs> you got to come back on our show, though, uh, when you do your first feature. You got, we'd love, love to have you back on. Oh, my gosh. I would so love that. It's been so lovely to talk to you guys. You're such yeah. a good Thank no, you well, so thank much. you. We, uh, we, it's lovely to talk to you. It's uh, an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your stories. It's a really interesting, unique perspective that not a lot of people can share because you're, you're right there with it. It's so interesting. So congratulations on everything. Congratulations on graduating from Tish. Congratulations thank on you. obviously Servant in this film. We just want to say thank you for being on our show and we hope you're staying safe and uh, we'll see you uh, hopefully for your feature next time. Absolutely. It's so lovely to meet you guys. I hope to talk to you soon. Nice Thank meeting you, you too. Appreciate your time today. Bye, Bye. Okay. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Ashana, and we really want to thank her for stopping by Real Blend. Uh, we're going to have plenty of other stuff coming to you guys in terms of content. The premium episodes are going to be dropping on Monday. We have several interviews dropping next week. Um, most excited about David Lowry, who's coming on the show to talk about uh, filming The Green Knight. So, you know, follow our socials at Real Blend. If you're here on the YouTube channel, hit like and subscribe. And every time we post something new uh, regarding content for the Real Blend podcast, you guys will be the very first ones to hear about it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.